1: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
2: Well, thank you very much and good afternoon. Welcome to the Wednesday, May 4th edition of Lifeline. Great to have you on board. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. You know, it's amazing. The Supreme Court, you can go for weeks, months, maybe years without hearing from them, and then all of a sudden they are just dishing it out. Boy, are they ever. And this has been a big week. Uh, What between uh, leaks of what is anticipated to be a decision soon to be handed down sometime in June or July pertaining to the future of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. On top of that, a new decision handed down, certainly encouragement in terms of standing up for freedom of Religious expression, in a new decision related to the flying of the Christian flag in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. We've got some good news for you this afternoon. Brad Jacobs from the Pacific Justice Institute will join us for more details coming up a little bit later on. One of the other big things that seems to be hitting the news on an ever increasing basis, and this has been, I think, particularly true in the wake of the George Floyd. Murder, And that is um, diversity, sometimes in our nation, a significant lack thereof, and, and sometimes I think confusion over difference. And sadly, sometimes we use the things that make us different as a means of driving a wedge or somehow looking at others and seemingly treating them as if they are inferior to us because they are different than us. But there's another perspective on all of this, and I think uniquely from God's viewpoint, if you consider the fact that we are all part of his created universe, the diversity that we have that's kind of built into life in general is something that very God himself created. So if God created it, what was his intent? And how can we see ways in which manners in which we are different is, instead of being used as a wedge to divide us, rather can be used as something that can bring us together. That is, in fact, the focus of a new book published by my first guest tonight. The book is called Diversity of a Different Kind, newly published by Coalition Services. And joining me today is adjunct professor from Southern Bible Institute and College and founder of Coalition Services, LLC, which provides services to churches and other organizations and individuals related to um, this notion of reconciliation. And Aletha Burnett, good to have you on the program today.
3: Hello, Craig. Thank you for having me on the program today.
2: Wow, this is such a, a, a timely issue because, you know, we, I think, can all agree that there are many ways in which our, our culture, our greater society at large, seems to be broken. Uh, much of this, of course, going right to the heart of the impact of man's sin nature and our fallen condition. And um, and sadly, the enemy has has used the ways in which you are different to to divide us even further and divide and conquer certainly has been um, sort of his modus operandi since the garden. but understanding these differences that are in fact as I suggested in my opening remarks uh, really really, by God's design, where we should be able to take them and, and, and celebrate our differences and learn from them instead of seeing them as a wedge.
3: Absolutely. I love that. Celebrate the differences and learn from the differences. God created them, and if God loved it, we should embrace it also.
2: Give us some of your perspective as to why you felt it was important to write this book, and the core message that you're hoping to to deliver to the readers, to the church, and what kind of change you're hoping to affect, and I apologize. I, I realize that <laughs> I just get you're never supposed to give a guest a multi-tiered, multifaceted, complicated question. There's a lot to unpack in that. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you the floor.
3: Thank you. You first, I believe, asked why I wrote it. Actually, I woke up with the thought one morning. God created diversity to make us holy. And I pondered that, and I couldn't shake it for a period of time. It was analogous to something I had read in a book uh, called Sacred Marriage. What if God made marriage more to make us holy than to make us happy? And I hadn't read that book in a while, so maybe it germinated, I don't know, other than the fact that I woke up with it, and I couldn't shake it. So I went to a few theologians and asked them if it was theologically sound, and they said yes, they also said they hadn't heard it before. So I finally went to the theologian that I trust most, my pastor, Dr. Tony Evans, and asked him if it was theologically sound, and he said yes also. And so after grappling with it, for um, a number of months, it culminated in this book. It was just, I couldn't shake it. So that's the why, uh, in essence. And the core message is the belief that God created human diversity to give us naturally arising opportunities to practice biblical principles to produce Christ-like growth in us. We know his greatest desire for us is to for us to be holy and to grow to be like christ and so our god is so strategic he not only gave us the holy spirit to help us he gave us a diversity which brings these naturally arising opportunities uh, for us to embrace what he did and to love it and so in fact you said i believe the last part of your question was what do i hope for change i hope for us to embrace what God has naturally done, and when you look at the natural things that none of us can say we gave ourselves. In fact, we didn't give ourselves anything. But, for example, our personalities are God-given. We can't change those. Our races are God-given. We can't change those. Even generational differences that can bring conflict we can't change the generation that we were born in even spiritual gifts can be a source of conflict so when we differ with people let's just say it's based on personalities when we differ with people the sin nature tends to make us make the other person the enemy when they're not we can take that situation and um learn how to better relate and interact with people. And you said it in your comments, divide and conquer is the devil's tool. And one of the biggest tools that he uses for that is conflict. And one of the things that brings us conflict is differences. I describe diversity simply as differences well beyond race. There's a multitude of differences that God gave us.
2: And, you know, what strikes me about some of the differences that you've just briefly delineated, differences in terms of uh, skin color, differences in terms of talent, differences in terms of poss- of, of, of um, personality, that these are differences that are ingrained in us in the sense that they are differences that God made us with. And so I wonder... From a theological perspective, when when somebody sees a difference in another and use that immediately as a weapon, um, instead of a tool that can be used to grow from, to become holier, as you mentioned earlier, I like that notion that God didn't design marriage to make us happy, but to make us holy. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no doubt a good number of spouses out there, both husbands and wives, eavesdropping on our conversation tonight that are, that said a resounding amen to that. <laughs> but you know, it it strikes me that it it really is an expression of our innate sin nature when we look at a difference that is a difference that was given as a gift to us by very God himself, and instead say, oh no, because you're different, that makes you defective, and I'm going to use that against you. And of course, oftentimes, not only is that demonstrative of, of a tremendous sense of a lack of of self-value, of self worth. Uh, in my in my own person, that I can only feel better by putting someone else down. But aren't we also essentially saying, "God, you made a mistake. God, you messed up here somehow because this person doesn't look, act, think exactly as I do."
3: That's what you're saying, in essence. I agree with you in that. In fact, my pastor said we don't have a skin problem; we have a sin
2: problem. Yes
3: goes right back to the innate nature of sin that you uh, mentioned. And um, it's the sin nature, and some of this is also learned behavior when we're taught to uh, not value certain gifts or races or personalities, gender differences uh, even. And and I think you hit that nail right on the head when you said that sometimes it's self-value. Um, you feel devalued yourself, and you may feel more value by devaluing others.
2: And it really, as we look at the broader issue, and, and for the benefit of listeners, this is not necessarily a conversation that is focused singularly on addressing the matter of racism in our country, though there are many strong components, uh, certainly to um, Aletha's new book, that, that are touched upon in that arena but it, but i think you know it teaches us a, les- a lesson here to better understand that when we have differences that end up dividing that it that really is a reflection on where we are in our relationship with god and and where we are in terms of just how much we're allowing our own innate sin nature to influence us and to control our thinking, and our actions. So at the end, when we talk about America having a race problem, for example, well, that's true, but perhaps, and we'll, we'll unfold this a bit with a bit more detail after the break, perhaps what's really demonstrative here is that we look at the issue of racism, for example, as a, a, a problem in America, and it certainly is, but it is really symptomatic, of something deeper going on. It's symptomatic that tells the story about where we are in our relationship with God and about man's fallen sin nature, that our racist thoughts or behavior, the way we treat others, is really demonstrative. It, it, it's, it's a symptom of a deeper issue afoot, and that, of course, is sin itself. We'll take a brief time out with us today. Special guest, Dr. Tony Evans, by the way, is her pastor. Um, Olitha Barnett is with us. She is a theologian, a lawyer, conflict resolution specialist, something that all of us in the church ought to be, right? After all, we that have benefited the most from reconciliation ought to know what that looks like and how to live that out. She's written a new book called Diversity of a Different Kind, and uh, we're having some discussion about that today. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of that conversation as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Aletha Barnett with us today. Aletha, by the way, is a conflict resolution specialist, theologian, lawyer, and the author of a new book called Diversity of a Different Kind. We've been talking about this issue of the things that make us different that sadly the enemy uses to drive a wedge between us. But in fact, God intends for this to bring us together. And I think the one thing that we oftentimes, Aletha, forget Um, we don't spend a lot of time concentrating on what the here and after will look like but uh, I have it on fairly decent authority that heaven will not necessarily be filled with Baptists and Presbyterians and Roman Catholics and uh, Lutherans and all of that but simply those (laughs) who are washed in the Lamb's Book of Life um, uh, who are listed rather in the Lamb's Book of Life that have been washed in the blood but that they all comprise of people that come from those backgrounds. And so, in some respects, I wonder if, if this sense of diversity is kind of a, a preparation for what our, our, our long-term experience is going to look like in heaven.
3: Yeah, We've heard it said that life is a dress rehearsal for <laughs> so what will happen uh, in heaven. And I wrote a poem once, and I think the last two lines of the poem titled Differences – is that the chief aim of life is to bring him glory. When it's all said and done, what will be your story? And so, as you said, uh, there is an after, a hereafter. And so, uh, as we live, we want to bring God glory. And being in conflict is not an exemption to not bring him glory. We must bring him glory uh, at all times. You said something right before we went on the break that uh, resonated with me. And you said it's uh, um, symptomatic of our relationship with God. And, and I have something that I say that goes with that, is that our spiritual maturity is a direct barometer of how we handle conflict. The more mature we are, the better we handle it. The less mature, and that is, the lesser relationship we have with God, um, the worse we handle conflict.
2: So it really is, in a sense, that that depth of that relationship, in how yeah. sensitive we are to the Holy Spirit, in yeah. how great our awareness is and capacity to apply Scripture in our life, uh, you know, uh, 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 abounds in us, and that in the end, it really becomes as we as we struggle in dealing with conflict. Or recoil at differences in others. Um, really, again, then f- full circle, uh, demonstrative of kind of kind of a almost a barometer of the health of our spiritual relationship. If you see a person who can handle conflict well and understands uh, the importance of, of diversity and difference and is comfortable with that, uh, you're probably talking about a person who spends a lot of time in prayer allows the Holy Spirit to lead their life, spends a lot of time in the Word, and not only reads the Word, but knows how to apply it.
3: Yes, yes. And oftentimes, when we talk it, we deceive ourselves if we're not applying it.
2: Absolutely. Now, I am going to ask you an important question here, because I can imagine with some of our listeners, uh, particularly these days, it has become um, almost a, a dirty word in a sense. We hear the word diversity, and people think, "Oh, I know what you mean by that. You know, you you mean uh, a different type of culture." Uh, it, it's, it's almost the, the my grandmother used to say, them's fighting words, you know. <laughs> so help us understand from, from a scriptural perspective, when we talk about diversity, again, a word that sadly the world is kind of co opted and the enemies tried to use as a wedge, but when we talk about true diversity from a theological standpoint, what are we talking about? We're
3: just talking about differences, simply differences, and as you said, we when we hear diversity, we try to put a peg on race and certain other arenas. But God made it all; He designed it all. And as you alluded to, that uh, and, and the hereafter will come from every tribe, nation, etc. And so it's differences uh, that God has given us, and it goes with the title of the book of a different kind. When we look at it differently, we embrace all the differences uh, that God made. We've got unchangeable differences like spiritual gifts, personalities, learning styles, even race, generational differences, gender. And then we've got changeable differences like politics. We know that's a source of much uh, conflict. Then we have the way we respond to conflict. Some people are attack responders. Some are more peacemakers and some are flight. They flee conflict But when we have these diversity encounters, we can look at those as as assignments from God. That encounter didn't get to you, but that God allowed it. And everything works together for good. Take that encounter and take it as an opportunity to apply the biblical principles for your spiritual growth. I call it uh, diversity embrace. That's when we uh, accept others. And then, of course, we have diversity rub, which would be sinful intolerance of others and their differences. Let's embrace what God created. It's his divine design. So diversity is God's divine design, and it was to bring us oneness as we learn to interrelate and interact and live in community and growth.
2: Um, I almost I think wonder think
3: that's a missing link in uh, terms of not embracing what God has done. Uh, uh, and means, and, I'm
2: sorry. Absolutely, yes. and I was going to say, you know, and 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 it, and it takes me full circle to the, to the notion that you know when 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 Christ prayed that they all might be one, yes. I think that was both a prayer and a lament, because yes. clearly yes. he must have seen that there were differences. And instead of looking at those differences or that diversity as a thing that draws us together, instead was being used by the enemy as as a means of dividing. And, you know, you look at, for example, the the makeup, so to speak, of the the 12 disciples. Boy, there's a pretty diverse group of people. And and some on that list, I suspect, if we sat down and said we were taking applications to become members of our board of deacons— (laughs) <laughs> there, there would be one or two people on that list, maybe more, depending upon who you talk to, that would say, oh, no, they're not going to cut the, oh, no, 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 Listen, that that Luke, you know what, I don't like the way he practices medicine. I think he's a quack. He can't be a part of this. Matthew, tax collector, are you serious? Absolutely not. It's interesting, and I wonder if, from your perspective, even potentially strategic, that Jesus happened to choose such a diverse group of people to surround himself with that not only was made up of people with different professional backgrounds, educational backgrounds, familial backgrounds, racial backgrounds, even people that came, you know, both male and female. And I have to wonder, knowing that God doesn't do anything by happenstance— that perhaps that was all very intentional in order to send us a message.
3: I think he was modeling it for us, as he often did while walking here on uh, Earth. And uh, you, you mentioned the oneness. Absolutely. We are the body of Christ. And in conflict with all of these differences, we're in conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one body, same spirit.
2: We've read stories in the news in recent years about what happens when, uh, for example, part of the, the physical body, the human body, uh, turns on itself. Uh, for example, um, severe cases of rheumatoid arthritis it is at the core, as I understand it, um, an a, a autoimmune problem where the body begins to attack itself. And what happens? It is debilitating. It is crippling. It can even ultimately be life-ending. Why? Because a part of the body has suddenly turned on itself. And so if we look at the the sad end of, of, of a human being when that happens, imagine what that means for the sake of the Church when the body, the body of Christ, suddenly finds one fraction or one group turning on itself. You've got to know that not unlike the physical human being where the end can be disastrous. The same thing can be true for the effectiveness of the church if we're not careful to guard ourselves, guard our hearts, and yeah. guard the way we relate to, interact with, and and love one another. Let's talk more about that when we come back after the break. Aletha Barnett with us tonight. The book is called Diversity of a Different Kind. I know some folks hear that title and think, oh, my goodness, they've gone to liberalism here. (laughs) But we're really talking about Jesus's perspective on the broader issue of reconciliation and what it means to come together to exercise forgiveness. And my goodness, if any group of people ought to be able to model before the world what true reconciliation looks like. It ought to be the church, because after all, our very salvation depends upon it. A time out back with more as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I want
2: to spend a moment here in uh, this final segment with our special guest tonight, Aletha Barnett, talking about the broader topic of conflict resolution, because oftentimes the differences that we see in each other leads the conflict And uh, that creates this wedge that we've been talking about, this divide and conquer approach that the enemy has loved to do since the very beginning, meaning day one in the garden. What can we do? What can he do but divide God from his creation, even even to the point of, of questioning very God himself? Hath God said? It's been part of his MO from the very beginning. So recognizing that let's come full circle to an important topic and that is that we talk about the issue of of conflict resolution what are you looking for you're looking for a way to address different points of view or, or grievances and then come about the management of a discussion that will lead to some sort of reconciliation and my goodness particularly when we talk about the broader topic of reconciliation as it relates to reconciliation uh, amongst human beings, we of the church of all ought to really be experts at this, having benefited from the greatest and most important reconciliation ever. And that is the means by which God has provided that we might be reconciled unto him through Christ's work on the cross. And it always surprises me Aletha, when sometimes we in the church seem to struggle with this the most, when, as I suggest, if any group ought to really understand what true reconciliation looks like, it ought to be we in the body.
3: Absolutely. Because we've been reconciled, we should reconcile with others. In fact, every believer has the ministry of reconciliation in accordance with 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. Now, I know we all have ministries that could align with our spiritual gifts, but every believer has been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're commissioned for reconciliation, and there's four aspects to that. Uh, Obviously, you want to become saved first, and then the next aspect is to get others saved. That's evangelism. The third is that we need to live, live peaceful, reconciled lives ourselves. That's what God calls us to do, to pursue peace and the building up of one another. And the last one, of course, is to help others live peaceful, reconciled lives. You talked about uh, how the body attacks itself, and then when we do that uh, with each other, but if we could just remember the two greatest commandments and apply those. Uh, First, of course, is love God. My, my, My interpretation is love him with everything within you, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If we got that right, then everything else would fall uh, in place. Everything is fulfilled through love. Reconciliation works through love. Peacemaking works through love.
2: I'm struck by the notion we talked earlier about this idea that sometimes we will put others down that are different from us because there are shortcomings in our own lives that we're not all that happy with and so we're able to in a sense uh, in a false sense elevate uh, our our sense of well-being by putting somebody else down that they're not quite as smart as me not as good as me not as blessed as me uh, they have less favor than with god than i do Think, things of this sort all of it of course as we mentioned coming back to the notion of of sin nature and i what i wonder if also a big part of this is that we're we're placing the emphasis on our identity in the wrong places I mean for example in your book you talk about the issue of sometimes elevating our identity be it our ethnic identity or our maybe our educational uh, you know station in life and 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 we use that identity to um, to drive the way we think and act but i would imagine if we first and foremost and almost singularly saw ourselves only as our identity in Christ Jesus and then act in a fashion that is in harmony with that identity as being a sinner saved by grace through through God's enormous love for us, that would change our attitudes, not only in terms of our relationship with God, but take us a long way toward learning what true reconciliation on the horizontal plane looks like, too, wouldn't it?
3: Absolutely, it would. Our identity is in Christ, and if we have it in anything else, we're, we're off. We're off of kill there if we have our identity in anything other than in Christ, who gave himself uh, for us. It would change the world if we recognized who we are in Christ and we acted accordingly.
2: Do we need to be reminded of this? I, let me pose a question. I, I Retired people, for example, and this is, I think, especially true of men, though perhaps across the board for everyone— we we spend a lifetime identifying um, based on what our career is. And so uh, somebody says, uh, well, so who are you? You say, well, I'm a banker, I'm a grocer, I'm a radio guy uh you know i 'm an attorney, whatever it might be our our identity leads with what our profession is, and then, when we retire and we 're no longer fully engaged in that, some people go through a a bit of an identity crisis because their identity is wrapped up in what they do and i'm 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 really thinking here out loud that you know we could save ourselves a great deal of pain not only not only at retirement but throughout life if we shifted the sense of importance we put on who we are based on how we learn our living, for example, to instead see ourselves as a sinner in need of salvation, saved by grace, bought with a price through no effort of our own, and that that very description for ourselves also describes every single other human being on the planet, either a sinner saved by grace or a sinner in need of a Savior.
3: Absolutely. Center saved by grace in need of a savior. I, and I add to that the fact that we're made in the image of God. So though we're sinners saved by grace, God made us valuable when He created us in His image. And to further prove the value, Christ died for us. And so you treat valuables with care. And no material good, no job that you mentioned, these things that we put our identity in, none of those are more valuable than any person uh, that lives. Our identity is in Christ, uh, not based on what we do or what we have, but who we are. We belong to Christ, and we are made in the image of the God of the universe. That's almost mind-blowing there.
2: My grandmother used to say it 's not in what you know it 's in who you know yeah, and, we and can the be, right. <laughs> that's right we can, we can be well educated and learned uh and and pretty impressed with ourselves, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to not what we know but who we know, meaning what our relationship yeah. is with God. final question for you tonight, olitha we 've talked about embracing many of these differences we 've talked about ways in which god strategically built these differences in to teach us lessons to draw us together to to help us become holy in that process of of um, moving from sin to salvation to then sanctification which of course is ongoing when we do run into differences and they do exist we we can't pretend as if they don't when yeah. we do run into differences how do we go about addressing those differences in a biblical Fashion so that in the end, even if we come to, uh, what's the old saying, agree to disagree, that we can do so maintaining a sense of value for everyone involved in the discussion?
3: I think that takes us to um, Colossians 3, 13 and 14, and also uh, 15 and 16. And when we talk about allowing for the differences of others, there's an element of respect. We're talking about respect for people and respect for differing opinions. We're not talking about respecting sinful actions, but we're talking about opinions. We have different opinions, often based on the lenses through which we look. Uh, we're wired differently. God put us together differently in terms of the differences that we mentioned. And so let's allow for the differences of others. One of the things I like to say is that we, um, when we interrelate with others, let's separate the person from the conduct. The person is a valuable person. The conduct may not be in line with where it should be biblically. Separate the two.
2: A- absolutely. then
3: a- treat that encounter as an assignment from God, embrace your ministry of reconciliation that we talked about. And in those verses that I mentioned, we're talking about bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and loving one another. All of that is a part of those particular Uh, And that's where I got allow for the differences of others from in terms of allow. It's just bear with one another.
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's such an incredible note to end our conversation on, because particularly these days, there is so much strife out there. and, and, And we enter into these debates of differences of political opinion. And if somebody doesn't agree with us, we immediately will couch them in terms of being the enemy. Instead of couching them in terms of, particularly when you go along the lines of, of an individual that has an opinion that we know is not scriptural, that we know is not Bible-based, and yet instead of seeing that person as now somehow my enemy that I need to, you know, uh, take up arms against and, and, and go to battle and slay, to instead see that person as an individual in need of a Savior and recognize this as an opportunity to, to, to bring about not only the, the love of Christ— but most importantly, to demonstrate what true biblical reconciliation looks like. And I believe when we do so, we will not only change hearts, but as we change hearts, we'll change lives and change the world around us. Aletha Barnett, the book called Diversity of a Different Kind. Now, you can get this through the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also get it through her website, conciliationservices.com. That's conciliationservices.com. And Aletha Barnett, thank you so much for being with us on that segment of Lifeline.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It
2: is not unusual to hear the phrase separation of church and state bantied about, typically by people that are quite ignorant of what the Constitution actually says on such matters related to religion in the public square. In fact, it is born out of a misinterpretation of the Establishment Clause that specifies that official government will establish no official state religion, nor can it prohibit the free exercise thereof. Some have then used that as a club to suggest that, oh, the government cannot be in any way whatsoever involved with or touched by religion in the public square well to do so would fundamentally impact the ability of every one of us to exercise our own constitutional freedoms because what if for example you're on public property and you you know you want to preach well by the fact that it's government or public property does that suggest somehow that there is a ipso facto endorsement by Government of that religious expression, and if so, does that somehow establish an official government religion? well, the answer of course, is clear to anyone who's um, you know uses just a basic understanding of of common common law and and the history of our constitution, but look at that and say, well, of course not Craig and so that's what makes this most recent story out of the u s Supreme Court. Uh, a very enlightening and very encouraging one. And we get the latest as we're joined by Brad Dacus, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute and a constitutional lawyer. And, Counselor, always great to have you with us, particularly on days when we've got some good news to share. Let's begin, though, by giving a bit of a backgrounder on uh, what this debate was um, with a flag, proposedly uh, a flag to fly over City Hall in Boston.
4: Yeah, the uh, city hall in Boston. They allow they have a flagpole and they allow different groups to to fly their flag. Uh, any kind of groups uh, they allow the flag to go up, except Christian flags or religious group flags. They said, "Oh no, we can't do that." Separation of church and state, freedom from religion. Well, they uh, a lawsuit was filed on behalf of a, a Christian group that wanted its flag to fly, and. Uh, they lost at the lower court, lost at the uh, First Circuit Court of Appeals, and then they appealed it to the United States Supreme Court. And the United States Supreme Court um, wrote a unanimous opinion declaring that this is unconstitutional, that that is not government speech. When the government creates a, a platform or a form of speech, like a flagpole in this case, uh, It it uh, it is not... The, uh, the speech that goes up on that flagpole is not that of the government, but on private individuals who, who put it up. Uh, this is a great decision, and Brett Kavanaugh even went farther to make it very clear in a concurring opinion, saying that whenever government allows secular speech, a forum, or any kind, it has to give uh, equal treatment to religious speech. Uh, so it's a great decision. It was unanimous. Even Sotomayor, the one who almost always rules against anything that's pro-God, uh, even she... Uh, sided with the with the majority in this in this unanimous
2: decision and especially so when when clearly this is being afforded uh anybody in the community an opportunity to fly their flag i, I don't think of any of us, for example that might say on Columbus Day for example, to fly the Italian flag is suggesting that now um, Boston is ready to secede from the union. <laughs> And and uh, and become a province of Italy. I'm not sure how that would work, and I would probably advise against it, given how badly mismanaged the the, the boot is. But that said, uh, no one would draw that conclusion. So then, to somehow suggest that oh well, if 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 the Christian flag flies above City Hall, that's a violation of the Establishment Clause because somehow Boston is now establishing Christianity's official religion is absolutely ludicrous. And this really comes down to a, a, a real core misunderstanding here, and, I, and you just alluded to this a moment ago, Counselor, and that is that sometimes we, and I think those individuals do so intentionally and knowingly, um, confuse the difference between freedom of religion versus freedom of from religion, and there's nothing in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, or the Declaration of Independence to suggest one iota that our founding fathers had the intention of creating an environment that was free from religion.
4: Yeah, exactly. You know, even in law school, I had a professor teaching employment law, and, and he cited, he said, you know, like the First Amendment's freedom from religion clause, I said, excuse me, professor, isn't that freedom of religion? He goes, oh. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And he was a he's a member of the ACLU. Um, so it just goes to show you, ideology is can uh, be very problematic in protecting uh, the original intent of the First Amendment. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court they got it right and uh, this is something for us all to build on and to appreciate as we move forward
2: well certainly good news and uh, you know we we've, we've had some couple of good stories coming out of uh, dc in the past 48 hours so uh, we you know we don't always get victories but when we get them we're going to revel in them um, we appreciate yeah. so much the good news regarding this story again if you've joined us late the supreme court has ruled in favor of a group that had been banned from flying the christian flag for a day at Boston City Hall. And uh, this opinion released on Monday morning, the case of Harold Shurtleff versus the city of Boston, Massachusetts. The high court unanimously ruled, and that doesn't happen very often, unanimously ruled to reverse a lower court decision and remand the case back to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit. And uh, so it's uh, good news tonight. Always appreciate when Brad Dacus joins us, but especially so when he's bearing good news. Brad Dacus. Founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Coming up on uh, 6 o'clock, the midway point here on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline for the fourth day of May. We'll take a brief time out, come back with more, so uh, don't touch that dial